0: To explore the Talmudic version for romance, it reminds me. You know, they uh, they say about Socrates that he told one of his students, "You should get married." And the student said, "Why, master?" And he said, "It's very simple. Whatever happens will only work out for the best. If you have a great marriage." you'll find love and if you have a miserable marriage you'll become a philosopher today we have many philosophers around the world experts on marriage they say about a teacher who once asked his students what is the difference between an engagement and a battle so one of the students said the difference is one is what happens before marriage and one is what happens after the marriage now the Torah in the book of Devarim, in the portion of Kiseitze discusses divorce the option of divorce take a look inside let's see the text of the Bible Source, source number one in your curriculum, right below the video. There's a PDF. Open it up, please. Torah says like this. This is the beginning of the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy of Dvarim. If a man takes a wife, a man marries a wife, and they live together, they're intimate with each other. And it shall be if she does not find grace in his eyes. If he does not find her graceful in his eyes. evas because he found something in her which was immoral, which was promiscuous. Because of lo sefer crisis, He can write for her a writ, a book of divorce, and give it to her in her hand, and send her from her home, and she can leave his home, and go and get married to another man. Here in these verses we have the biblical basis for the concept which we call today a get, a bill of divorce, to absolve a marriage between a husband and a wife. There's an entire tractate in Talmud which is called Tractate Gitten, the Tractate of Divorce, 90 pages, which discusses in detail all of the complex and nuanced laws of how uh, the procedure of divorce takes place, how the document of divorce is prepared, how it's presented, which is of course extremely critical in Jewish law because it is this document which severs the relationship, it allows the marriage to cease and hence frees the wife to remarry someone else, and the husband as well to marry another woman. What are the grounds for divorce? You may be surprised to know, but there is a Mishnah, the last Mishnah of Tractate Gittin, which discusses this, and quotes an argument between three schools, the school of Shammai, the school of Hillel, and the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Please open up source number two in your curriculum. Zak de Mishneh Gitten Sadik Amar Alef Gitten Ninety Eight last Mishneh Gitten Bei Shammai Yoimrim the school of Shammai says Lo Yigaris Adem Esish Teelim Kain Motza Erba Teelim Kain Motza Ba a man shall not divorce his wife unless he found immoral promiscuous behavior in her Shemayr the Torah says Kain Motza Ba Ervas when should he write her a get? When should he give her a divorce if he finds in her ervas dover? Simply put, if there is a betrayal of trust, if there is disloyalty, if there's promiscuity in the marriage, the woman is disloyal, ervas dover, then there is grounds for a divorce. That's the opinion of the school of Shammai, one of the most famous schools of Talmudic legal Jewish thought. Beis Hilleloy, the school of Hillel says, Even if he doesn't found anything promiscuous in her, even if she burnt his dish, he comes home, the kugel is burnt, the rice is overdone, the cholent is burnt, if cholent could be burnt, she burnt his dish grounds for divorce. Shenemar, ki ervas The same verse, he finds in her something promiscuous. But Beis Hillel studies both words. Ervas <speaking in Hebrew> if davar, if he finds in her an erva, which means immorality, promiscuous, or dovar or something else. Another form of betrayal, like burning his dish. Rebakiva <speaking> Kiva, <in Hebrew> says, even if he finds another woman who is more beautiful than his wife, that is grounds for a divorce. The verse says, If he does not find her graceful, if in his eyes she loses her grace, that's how the Torah begins. If a man marries a woman, and they live together, and she doesn't. He doesn't, ha- and he doesn't find her graceful because he finds in her something promiscuous. He can divorce her. So, Rabbi Akiva focuses and says, even if le simtzechay. Not only if there's something promiscuous. Not only if she burns her dish, his dish. Even if everything is fine, but he sees someone who's more beautiful. According to Rabbi Akiva, this is grounds for divorce. Now, as the commentators explain the Tur, Simen Kofutas, the Me'iri, the commentators in Shulchan Aruch, Eben those are the laws of divorce. When Beis Hillel says even if she burns his dish, he doesn't mean unintentionally. He means if she actively, intentionally burns her dish, in other words, she dislikes him, she persecutes him, she bothers him, she burns his dish intentionally to give him a bitter life it's an example of a woman who really dislikes her husband and wants to torture him in any way possible according to this there was no promiscuity but that's grounds for a divorce what is the law what is the halacha we have three opinions according to be it's only if there's disloyalty that's the only time you're allowed to get divorced according to the school of Hillel, even if there's no disloyalty in the intimate element of marriage but she simply uh... persecutes her husband like he says, she burns his food intentionally. Hikdicha means burns. It's also used in the Bible as a term of evoking anger to get him angry, to get him upset. That's also grounds for divorce. And according to Rabbi Akiva, even if she does nothing wrong, he just finds somebody more, not, more, more gorgeous, more beautiful, more comely. That's grounds for divorce. What is the law? So the law in the Rambam, in Hilchis Gerish, and perikyu the laws of divorce, the 10th chapter, in Tur Shulchan Aruch Ezer Kuf Yates and Shulchan Aruch Ezer Kuf Yates, as the commentators explain, some codifiers believe that the law is like the school of Shammai, but the mainstream halachic conclusion is that the law is like the school of Hillel. Which means if the woman is intentionally bothering and undercutting the husband, that's grounds for divorce, and yet everybody agrees that extra caution must always be taken. As the Talmud concludes tractate Gittin, source number three, open up source number three. This is how the Gemara finishes the whole tractate. Whoever divorces his first wife, even the altar sheds tears for him. Shenemar the verse says in Malachi chapter 2 verse 13 this is the second sin you do the prophet Malachi says you cover the altar of God with tears with weeping and whining and mourning I don't want to turn anymore to your offering and take your desirable sacrifices from you I don't want to You're going to ask, why? And the answer is, Because God testified that you betrayed the wife of your youth. And she is your companion and the wife of your covenant. But you betrayed her, you divorced her, you let her go. And because of that, God who testified this, said, I don't want your offerings anymore, I don't want your sacrifices anymore, you covered the altar with tears, so Rebbe Lezard says, somebody who divorces his first wife, even though he has excuses and justifications the altar weeps and it's fascinating because the commentators the Chelkas Mechaykik in Evan Hezek of says, this is even according to Bishamai, even a woman who was found to be disloyal and promiscuous, he explains don't just divorce her and say even Shamai says we can divorce her You have to investigate and scrutinize and see if there's any way to fix the marriage. If the husband or the wife are disloyal, if there's any way to fix the marriage, it has to be fixed. If nothing can be done, then divorce is an option, but always the last option. Never to be jumped on, never the first preference. Only if every other method was experimented with to try to fix the marriage that's also conventional and accepted among all of the Jewish halachic authorities but what I want to ask you today is can we understand the opinion of Rabbi Akiva the school of Shammai I understand he says listen if there's disloyalty in the marriage there's no trust it's grounds for divorce the school of Hillel we can also understand if they really don't like each other imagine a husband is trying constantly to get his wife angry The wife is constantly trying to get the husband angry, burning his food so he should have miserable dinners. Apparently the school of Hillel understood how much food is important for men, especially for Jewish men, how important it is for men. What do they say? Men have to be fed and watered. And this is the example of her really making his life miserable, burning his food intentionally. Okay, the school of Hillel says it's grounds for divorce. But what's the opinion of Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva says the wife is doing nothing wrong. Everything is fine. He's walking in the street and he sees that somebody is more beautiful than his wife. This is grounds for divorce. This is coming from Rabbi Akiva. This sounds like ethics that's preached today in Hollywood. Or it's preached by certain individuals. This is really the opinion of one of the greatest sages in all of Jewish history, Rabbi Akiva. What is the meaning of this? Let's strengthen the question when we know a few things about Rabbi Akiva. First of all, his personal life. Who was Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva, the Talmud tells us, was an illiterate, peasant-like shepherd. Did not know any study, did not know how to learn. He was a shepherd, shepherding the flock of a very wealthy Jew named Kalba Kalba Savua. had a daughter whose name was Rachel. Her name was Rachel. She loved Rabbi Akiva. She saw his potential. She offered her hand in marriage to him with the condition that he's going to go study. She knew the greatness that lay in this person. She was excommunicated by her father because she took him as a husband. The father was one of the wealthiest Jews of the time. Swore that he would not give a penny to his daughter or to her son-in-law. Because of the embarrassment she caused the family marrying such a simple peasant, a shepherd. And yet Rachel excommunicated herself. She separated herself from her family. She had to endure. Her father who was a very powerful and rich person. Her father's ire just to remain remain with Rabbi Akiva. And they were poverty stricken. The Talmud says they had nothing. They were so poor. And she did this for her husband. She loved him dearly. And then she sent him to learn. Twelve years she allowed him to be away in yeshiva. When he came home. She allowed him to go away for another 12 years and she finally came back with 24,000 students and became the greatest sage in Jewish history. And when he came back with his 24,000 students and she came out to greet him, what did Rabbi Akiva tell all of his thousands of students? is v'shalachem, shaloh. What is mine and what is yours all belongs to her. Rabbi Akiva knew about what loyalty is. What a loyal wife is. From all the sages, he's the one who says in the Mishnah, your wife is loyal, your wife is trustworthy, your wife is a good person, your wife never burnt your dishes. You found somebody more beautiful. That's grounds for divorce. Rabbi Akiva, you know the Talmud discusses what's wealth. You know, the Talmud gives four opinions. What's wealth? This is a Masech de Shabbos. Tractate page Shabbos, page 25. What is wealth? There's the opinion of Reptarfin. He says somebody who has 100 vineyards, 100 fields, and 100 servants working the vineyards and the fields. That's somebody who's rich. Rabbi Meir says, what is wealth? Wealth is somebody who knows how to appreciate what they have. If you know how to appreciate what you have, you're wealthy. Some people can have everything, but they're never satisfied. They're always miserable and bitter and competitive and ambitious. They always need more and they're restless when somebody else has something. And If somebody else has a toy that they don't have, they really, really have to go purchase it. That's Mayor's opinion. Reb Tarfin says, a hundred vineyards, a hundred fields, a hundred servants in them. Reb Yaisi says, If you have a bathroom near your table, you can eat. After the meal, you can go to the bathroom. You're a wealthy person. Appreciate life. Appreciate health. What does Rabbi Akiva say? Source number four. He Rib Rabbi Meir has his opinion. Rabbi Yoisi has his opinion. Rabbi Typhon has his opinion. What does Rabbi Akiva say? If you have a beautiful wife in deeds, you have a good wife, you're a rich man. Rabbi Akiva says this. You have a good wife. The way she behaves, you're a rich man. The same Rabbi Akiva argues with Shammai, argues with the school of Hillel, says, you find somebody more beautiful, divorce your wife. Who is the one who says, in Mesech Tesaita, if and Amalaf, open up source number 5, Dolesh Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, If a husband and a wife merit... The Divine Presence dwells among them. Lo'izochu, they don't merit. Eish, fire consumes them. What does he mean, as the commentators explain? The word Ish is made up of three letters, Aleph, Yud, Shin. The word Ish is made up of three letters, Aleph, Shin, He. They both have the word Ish in them, fire. But the Ish has a Yud, the Ish has a He. Yud and He is God's name, Yud, He. So when the man and the woman merit they have God's name. Together they have God's name. The man on his own doesn't have God's name. The woman on her own doesn't have God's name. But when they're together, you have Yud and Hei Shechino Shruya B'naiin. Only together do you have the Shechino. They say about Rabbi Shloy Mazalman Oyerbach, one of the great Torah luminaries of the last generation. He was Rosh Hashiva of Koil Tair in Jerusalem. And he would walk home from yeshiva, and the students would escort him to his house, and before he would go into his home, in Share Chesed, the neighborhood Sha'arai Chesed in Jerusalem, he would straighten his clothes, straighten his hat, straighten his, his kapot to his coat, make sure he looks elegant. So one of his students asked him and said, you know, most people, they straighten out their tie and their suit and their hat when they're leaving their house, before they go to work, before they go to appointment but when they're already coming back home this is the time to relax, to chill out you know, you undo your garments Reb Shalim Azalman said Reb Shalem Azalman Oye said he said in my home there's peace my wife and I never fought never insulted each other the Shechina is there I'm coming in to greet my wife I'm coming also to greet the Shechina the Divine Presence you have to look your best you have to look your best. You're coming to welcome God. He says, where I was, I don't know if the Shekhinah was there, but in my home there's the Shekhinah. I have to be nice. I have to look good. If not, if you take out the Yud and the Hei Rabbi Akiva says, you left with Ash and Ash. you left with two fires. Husband has passion. The woman usually has even more Passion as the Talmud explains by the man the Yud separates Aleph and Shin in other words a separation in the fire by the woman the hay comes after the Aleph shin, because a woman's fire and intensity and passion is usually much more powerful you have fire and fire you have two passions, you have two personalities they burn each other up they must have a power to connect them a marriage needs a glue to hold it together that's the glue of the Divine Presence the Yud and the hey, that's what Rabbi Akiva says this is Rabbi Akiva Now comes another statement of Rabbi Akiva. Source number 6, the Mishnah in Yadayim, Tractate Yadayim, chapter 3. There's an argument there whether the biblical book of Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, the 8th chapter love poem between the groom and the bride, if it's sacred or it's not sacred. Was it canonized or was it not canonized? Is it one of the 24 sacred, divinely inspired books of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible? And there's an opinion that Shir Hashirim may not be sacred. Omer Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, Chatz v'shalem! Ein kol ha'ilam kulay shnitim v'shir Hashirim li Yisrael. The world was never a worthy place as the day when the Song of Songs was given to Israel. Shekol ha'ksuvim k'ydash v'shir Hashirim k'ydash kadashim. All the writings, all the scriptures are sacred. But the Song of Songs... It's Kaidish Kadashim. It's not just holy, it's the holiest of the holy. Now, open up the Song of Songs. What is it? It's a beautiful, gorgeous, expressive poem of love between the chasin and the kalah between the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom. As a metaphor, also, for the relationship between God and the Jewish people. Rabbi Akiva says all of the Torah is holy, the whole Tanakh, all the scriptures are holy. But what's the holiest of the holy? Hashim. The love, the relationship between the groom and the bride reflecting the cosmic relationship between heaven and earth, between God and Israel. And this very Rabbi Akiva, this very same person, all of whose statements we just quoted, in the last Mishnah of Tractate Git, the end of the Tractate on divorce, Says Even if there was no promiscuity, no disloyalty, no betrayal, no treacherous acts, no deceit, no lying, no deception on anybody's part. Even if there was no intentional harm, damage, causing anger, persecuting. But he found somebody who was nice, who was more beautiful. That's grounds for divorce. <speaking in Hebrew> How do we understand this? Here we have an example how when we study Torah superficially we often miss the point but when we come to appreciate the ideas on a deeper level suddenly a new world opens up and what I want to explain to you tonight is that if we really scratch beneath the surface of this Mishnah and we excavate the true depth of what's being conveyed we will begin to appreciate the types of relationships that our greatest sages and rabbis and Talmudic scholars have. Today, when there's so much discussion about love and romance and relationships, websites and seminars, complete sections and bookstores with books, retreats and Shabbatons and lectures and mp3s and videos and series and volumes and so on and so forth as I said we have so many philosophers today it seems that our version of romance even in its most romantic sense is impoverished compared to the sensitivity to the depth of love to the passion to the commitment That our great luminaries, our great sages had. And yes, this Mishnah expresses it. And you want to know why? It's exactly opposite. You want to know why and you want to know how. Let's explain. Now, I just want to say this is an intense topic, it's a long topic, there are different perspectives. Tonight, I'm sharing with you one perspective of many. There are two layers of divorce there is the legalistic, concrete reality of divorce but then there is the internal reality of divorce the two are very different the legal concrete component of divorces when the husband writes the get as we call it the safe crisis follows the entire procedure The woman follows the entire procedure according to Jewish law. The husband gives her the document of divorce. And from that moment, the marriage has been absolved. And legally and technically, they are not considered a husband and wife anymore. They're not bound in marriage any longer. And that means the husband may remarry and the wife may remarry. According to all the conditions of Jewish law, beyond the scope of the present lecture and discussion. But there's another element of divorce. Not the one that is manifested concretely and physically in the document of divorce. There is the internal divorce between the husband and the wife. There is that state of divorce when internally they're disconnected. Legally they may be still living in the same home. Legally they may still be married. But emotionally or intellectually, psychologically, spiritually, they may be in the same home but they're divorced. The legal physical divorce is simply a manifestation. It's a conspicuous expression of an internal divorce. The divorce doesn't begin when he gives her the piece of paper. The divorce begins in their hearts. The divorce begins in their minds. The divorce begins in their psyches. The divorce begins in the bedroom. The divorce begins in the atmosphere, in the attitude, in the perspective. And then it's expressed in the physical act of divorce. When the Torah speaks of divorce, as always in Judaism, there's the soul of divorce and there's the body of divorce. The Torah is not only addressing the legal, concrete mechanism of divorce. The Torah is also addressing the emotional mechanism of divorce. What is a divorce on an internal level? What does it mean, heaven forbid, that a husband and wife are separated? Not just physically, geographically, legally. Geographically, they may be together. They may be standing together. They may be in the same home, they may be eating at the same table. But their hearts are divorced, their souls are divorced. What does it mean? It's extremely important to understand because from a Torah perspective, the legal divorce is the second step. It's a manifestation of the internal divorce. So when we can define what's the internal divorce when there is an internal divorce the Torah says now you should document it and do it legally because there's no point of being married when you're divorced but divorce doesn't begin after marriage it begins during marriage and when it begins during marriage the Torah says finalize it in a concrete way that's the question in the mission it's not just a question technically when to go to court and make a divorce the question is what is the inner state of consciousness that you can say is a state of internal divorce. Here there are three opinions. The school of Shammai says, as long as there's no promiscuity, as long as there's no disloyalty in this marriage, as long as the woman and the husband are loyal to their relationship with each other, there are certain red lines that are not crossed. Even though the situation in the home may be far from ideal and perfect and beautiful and loving but they're married. They're married. They are a married couple with the sanctity and the holiness and the sacredness of the institution we call marriage. And therefore there's no divorce even internally. Base Hillel, the school of Hillel, takes it far further. The school of Hillel says no. No. Even if there's a situation that you're eating Your wife's food. And what you're tasting is burnt food. If you find somebody else's food to be more delicious than your wife's food, according to Hillel, it means that there's a problem with the marriage. According to the school of Hillel, it means that there's something lacking and unwholesome in the relationship. If the food that your wife is cooking for you, in your eyes, is burnt, is horrible, is despicable, is unedible, and the food in the restaurant, or at the bar mitzvah, or at the wedding, or at your neighbor's home, is more delicious, according to Ms. Hillel there's a challenge in this marriage. You say everything is good in the house, but this was the school of Hill's conception of a relationship. If you can really feel that somebody else's food is better than your wife's food, then it means there's something missing. There's something missing in the relationship. There's something missing in your contact with each other. If a person can be repulsed by his wife's food, then the Torah's version of what intimacy, of what a relationship is, is missing. According to the school of Hillel, if you love somebody, and you dedicated your life to somebody, and you know that this person prepared food for you, then, who cares what it tastes like? Or actually, it tastes delicious. It's the best food in the world. You made the food for me. It's the most delicious food in the world. Why? Because it's my, it's my wife. It's my partner, it's my soulmate. That's what Hillel was saying. Comes Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Akiva, who loved and cherished his wife in the most extraordinary way, says, no, you still don't get it. If you can see somebody in the world, anybody, as more beautiful than your wife, according to Rabbi Akiva, there is an internal divorce. The marriage is internally lacking. There's something missing. According to Rabbi Akiva, who knew what a relationship is, and who knew who his wife was, and he was one with his wife. And I'm going to refer the students who remember to the discussion we had in the week of Vayetzeh. Why Rabbi Akiva didn't bother to come into the house after returning from yeshiva 12 years after he went to learn and he went right back because of his oneness with his wife and this was his desire. Rabbi Akiva, who had such a type of relationship, Rabbi Akiva says, what's a marriage? What does it mean that you're not divorced internally? You can see somebody is more beautiful. And if you can see another woman and she is more beautiful than your wife, Rabbi Akiva says it's grounds for divorce. Meaning, internally there's a problem. The physical divorce is simply a symptom of the inner divorce, of the spiritual divorce, of the fact that you're already not one. His standard of marriage is such a standard that, he says, if you're really one with her, it's not just she's the best cook in the world. That the school of Hillel says. It's that she's the epitome of beauty. This, of course, suits all of the statements of Rabbi Akiva that we discussed. It, of course, so suits his great statement in the mission that the holiest book of scriptures is Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, which is the Holy of Holies, the book that captures more than anything else the love of the groom and the bride as a metaphor between the love of God and Israel. Because in Rabbi Akiva, It's that love which represents Kaidish Kaddashim, it's the Holy of Holies. He saw that love as very profound, very holy, a metaphor for the divine love. And his standard of that love, therefore, was beyond the school of Hillel, beyond the school of Shammai. I was once, uh, I once spoke about this at a lecture and a friend of mine a very successful businessman approached me and he said you know this clarified something for him he's heavily involved in business and a very very successful business a lot of money goes through the business lots of investments and he said you know how do you know when you're when you're in a partnership with somebody in business or you hire somebody an employee what are the limits when do you say goodbye to the partnership? When do you say goodbye to the employee? He said, sometimes, there's an employee or a partner who simply bar erva's dover, who backstabs you. Simply somebody who's disloyal to you, somebody who betrays your trust, and somebody who, uh, who, uh, who, who uses you, who uses you, and then there's no question, even according to Bisham, it's grounds for divorce, in terms of business. He says, then you have another situation, he says, that there's a person who's just always burning his food. <laughs> you know, just a person who, who, who's loyal, who's trusting, who's trustworthy, who means well, but they just can't get it together. They just can't get it together. Their food is always burning. You know, this, this person wasn't called, this wasn't dealt with. And according to Basile, that's grounds for divorce. And then there's another situation where the person actually is getting it together. They're good. But you just find somebody who's much better <laughs> you simply find somebody who's more qualified and more skilled the first person plays the rules does everything right but there's somebody simply somebody who's more talented is that grounds for divorce parenthetically now here's a story it's a tremendous story great great story it's a story about the holy Ruzhiner who was one of the greatest Hasidic masters and one day, it was after the holidays, he went out from his study and he came into the shul and he saw a young man who was starting to pray, the morning prayers, chakras, and it was late. It was already very close to midday. And this person was p- putting on his tallis and tefillin to pray the morning services. So the Holy Rishnah turns to him and says, why are you davening so late? You couldn't wake up early in the morning and daven the morning service early? It's almost midday. What's your justification to delay your prayers to God so late in the day? And the chassid was perplexed. He says, Rebbe, look around the synagogue. There are so many elder chassidim here who are just beginning to pray now. As you know, the tradition by many chassidim was that they would study before their prayer, some of them for many hours, and they would start praying late. Till today by some chassidim. But in the older generations, it was even more common. So he says, River, hey, look around the synagogue. There are many people who are just starting to pray. Why are you screaming at me? And the holy Virginie smiled and he says, You know, let me tell you a story. There was once a Jew who worked very, very hard. He was a wood chopper. And all day he would chop wood and sell the wood. He made a very meager living and he would come home in the evening. Say seven o'clock in the evening. And he really didn't have money. His wife would always prepare for him the same dinner. There was always a piece of baked potato, a piece of bread, and a glass of water. That was the meal. That was dinner every day. Baked potato, piece of bread, and a cup of water. And he would come home. He was starving after a whole day in the forest with the lumber, sit down, and his wife would give him the meal, and he would eat. And this went on for years. One evening he comes home. He sits down at the dinner table. His wife is not there. The food is not there. There's no baked potato. There's no bread. There's no water. He's waiting. He's hungry. He's starving. No food. No wife. He starts thinking to himself, Ah, what a special wife I have. She knows how hard I work. She knows how much I appreciate a good piece of food. A good piece of cuisine and gourmet. What a precious wife, I'm sure. She decided tonight to give me a treat, to compensate me for all my hard work and love and respect. And she's preparing for me a meal. I'm telling you, it's going to be something special. It's 8 o'clock. The poor guy's stomach is turning over. His stomach is reeling from hunger. He's craving some food. And he thinks to himself, But where did she get the money to buy food? Ah, I know. She probably used one of her jewels. One of the pieces of jewelry she had and perhaps she gave it for collateral and she got money to buy me ah, some good food and she must be preparing it somewhere. And he starts imagining the aroma and the smell and the odor and the taste and the spices and the colorfulness of the dishes and the diversity of the dishes. And he's looking forward to this great meal. He was a simple Jew, simple person. Looking forward, or even if not a civil person, people like food. He was looking forward to this feast, to this dinner. Another hour passes and another hour passes. It's already close to 11 o'clock at night and the food is not here. And at this point, he says, it must be a feast. That's like the feast of Sudrashleim. It's like the feast of Solomon. It's so beyond my imagination that I can't even imagine what she's serving me. How special she is, how great she is and for that it's worth waiting 11 o'clock the, stri- the clock strikes 11 his wife comes running in, she says oh I'm sorry I got stuck somewhere, I know you're probably hungry and she gives him a plate of potato baked piece of potato a piece of bread and a cup of water he looks at her and he says my entire life, my dear wife for this I didn't have to wait so many hours this dish I could have had immediately when I came home. If you would have given me a special gourmet dish, I could wait. But for this, there was no need to wait so many hours. Rabbi Yisroel Ruzhiner turns to this chassid and he says, "You understand the story? If the chassid who's praying to God is delaying his prayers because he's preparing a dish." And when he starts praying, it's going to be with so much depth and concentration, so much authenticity and candidness, so much passion and fervor and love. God says, I'll wait. I'll wait for my breakfast. But with your prayer, he says, with your type of praises, I know how you pray. Your prayer you could do early in the morning. The type of breakfast you give to God. You could wake up right in the morning and give Him His food. You don't have to delay it a few hours. Wow. The chassid hears what his rebbe says. And since it was after the holidays, everybody was leaving home. They came to visit the rebbe for the holiday, they were leaving home. A group of chassidim on the way home stopped in an inn, a krechma, as they would do these were inns, you would stay, you would warm yourself up, you would eat something, you would sleep the night and then you would continue on your journey the next day and they're sitting in this inn and there's an old man on top of the oven As there used to be ovens that you could lie on top of the ovens to warm yourself up the ovens were made, there was wood on the bottom with a fire and then there were ovens and on top of it there was room for people to lay and sit and warm their bones from a cold winter and there was an old man on the, on the oven warming his bones and he turns to the Hasidim who are sitting in the inn they're eating some food they're schmoozing they're fabrenging they're socializing and he turns to them and he says Hasidim where are you coming from? and they say we're coming from the Holy Rabbi Yisrael Ruzhene, the great Hasidic master the Hilik he says tell me an insight that you heard from your Rebbe during the holiday and they thought to themselves what better insight do they have than what they heard this morning from the Rebbe in Shul and they said sure And they shared with him the whole story about the young chassid who came to Daven late before midday and the Rebbe came and chastised him and when he compared himself to older chassidim the Rebbe said, don't compare yourself to them they're serving a delicious gourmet breakfast to God you're serving an impoverished breakfast to God you can do it early in the morning. Because if you pray later God says, for this I didn't have to wait. The old man on the oven listens attentively and then he turns to them and he says, And I say that your Rebbe is wrong. I say that your master made a mistake. You know, Hasidim don't like hearing such words. <laughs> so they want to jump immediately and holler at him, How dare you? He says, Wait, I'll explain to you why. He says, I say that if he really loved his wife, And even if dinner came late, it was delayed by hours. And even though it was small and meager and impoverished, it was the same piece of baked potato and bread and water. But if he really loved his wife and he knows that his wife made this dinner for him, even though it was small and late and meager and weak and feeble, he would have still cherished it and consumed it with passion because of his love and his relationship towards her. I say, if God really loves the Jewish people, then even a prayer that's late, and a prayer that's small, and a prayer that's weak, and a prayer that's impoverished, and a prayer that's filled with distractions. But if if I love somebody, and they demonstrate a gesture towards me, they come close to me, they give me a part of themselves, I embrace it, I consume it, I devour it. Why? Because it's somebody I love. If it's somebody I love, even a small gesture is precious. A small meal from a Jew, maybe before midday, but God would love it. The Hasidim, as they say, have a chushareach, they have a sense of smell. They felt that this was a very precious insight to the extent that they have to go back and share it with the Holy Druzhener. And they went back. And they went into the Rebbe, to Rabbi Israel Ruzhiner, and they told him what happened. They were in the inn, and they shared the insight of the Rebbe. And this man on the oven said, I disagree, your Rebbe is wrong. And they told Rabbi Israel ruzhner what he said. Rabbi Israel ruzhner responded, so the story goes. He said, the soul of this Jew, of this elderly Jew on the oven, came down to this world to share this insight to share this lesson with us, to be melametzchus, to bring out the beauty of the prayer of this young chasset, and to convey this idea to us, this is why his soul came down to the world. And obviously they understood he was already a very elderly man. It was almost like a message that he fulfilled the mission for which he was created. This then, allows us to understand what the school of Hillel says and what Rabbi Akiva says. The Mishnah is not talking so much about divorce as much as it's talking about marriage. It's not telling us so much what divorce is, it's telling us what marriage is. And therefore, when there is no marriage, we can understand what's divorce. And it's not talking about the technical divorce, it's talking about What are the symptoms to know that there is an internal lack of wholesomeness? Today, in our society, if a couple gets along with each other, if there's no fighting in the house, if there's no hollering, there's no insulting, there's no screaming, there's no denigrating, never mind if there's respect and there's interest and there's some conversation, wow, it's a beautiful marriage. But we have to understand that for the Talmudic sages... Marriage was Mamesha Gevalt. It was far greater, far deeper, completely on a different level. In the words of Hillel, if it's food that was cooked by you, it's the most delicious food in the world. And you are the most beautiful human being in the world. Have a wonderful night. we